Welcome to the Mindset Neuroscience Podcast. I'm Stephanie Fay, and I'll be sharing insights into how human brain architecture and biology are influenced by our unconscious fears and social behaviors. I'll also give you science-based strategies on how to skyrocket the brain's learning potential by focusing on the power of mindset, relationship, and psychological safety. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to episode nine. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is going to cover the concept of authenticity and how incredibly important it is for actually teaching growth mindset and convincing people to even be willing to entertain the idea of changing their mindset about learning and performance and things like that. And we're going to look at something I call the biofeedback of authenticity and how we can actually learn to become more authentic. There are some ways that we can do this. And how, if we don't do this, if we don't learn how to really internalize the concept of growth mindset and what it's like to learn something and be a beginner, we aren't going to be able to find the right words and the right ways to model this idea. And that's where it's going to fall flat. You're going to have people very resistant, rolling their eyes, crossing their arms when they hear someone talk about it, because people can tell when someone is walking their talk. So we're going to look at how we can bring more of this authentic understanding of mindset into our talks. So some of you might know that I have a YouTube that the title is Don't Talk About Growth Mindset Until You Talk About This. And in it, I have a three-letter acronym. It's LIT, Learn, Internalize, Teach. And the point of that episode is to really help people see that you can't just hear about growth mindset and learn about it and then immediately try to teach it or convince people about it. And we're going to go a little deeper into why that is, but Just first, uh, just think about how you have learned to do anything, and you might not even remember most of it, (laughs) but how you learned to walk, how you learned to talk, even things like how you learned to react to challenges. These are all things that we have learned. We were not born with these different ways of being and these behaviors. They're all things that we learned through the different experiences that we get exposed to. But just think about, you know, just the simplest ones, the walking and talking, When you were learning the letter M, did your mom say to you, all right, so here's how you pronounce the letter M. You purse your lips together, you push air through your diaphragm, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't happen that way. It was much more of a, there was a modeling process that happened. So she was making the movements and the sounds and there was a sensory motor component to this. So you needed to experience the feeling of M. You needed to create movement and feel the sensations of that movement and what that did in your body. And then you were needed to see the reaction from other people as you did this. And that was the learning process. So when you were trying to learn how to talk, you had to put stuff out there. You had to experiment as much as possible. And most of your experimenting was a total and utter failure. You didn't make sense when you first learned to talk. You were trying to ask for that cookie and you got something else, but you experimented, you put stuff out there. There was a sensory motor component to it. And as you got that feedback, you started to learn, oh, that sound gives me this and creates this word and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a a huge amount of a feedback process internally. So you would see something, you would try to imitate it, mimic it, 
And you would need to have the, your own sensations in your body as you created physical movements to feel what it felt like to do it. And that was the, that's how you ground how to repeat it. If you don't have the sensation and you don't have the movement of learning something, it won't ground in you. It won't ground into your body and your brain as to how to repeat it because it will just be this abstract thing. But you also had an experimentation process where you failed and you made mistakes and you got that feedback back. And this also goes for things like relationship skills, or like I said before, how you reacted to challenges. Those are all things you learned. And again, there was a there was still a sensory motor component to this because remember, in everything that we do, there is this component of the social engagement system, not just the social engagement system where we're you know interacting with other people, but there's a sensory motor system for for everything we do. So how you built relationship skills, there was a you know, the feedback of the sensory motor part of you creating certain sounds or facial gestures or movements to utter the words that you wanted to say, and then getting the feedback back, experimenting like that went terribly or that went well. You learned how to get things you wanted by creating these sensory motor feedback systems, motor movements of the people around you. You asked for things in a certain way with a certain intonation and tension in your your vocal folds, you know, different facial gestures, different prosody of voice, all of that. You were doing that as you asked for things, you know, within your family, within your community, and you got stuff back or it didn't work and you didn't get stuff back and then you made adjustments. This is also how we learn kind of not great behaviors because sometimes crying or screaming gets what we wanted. And so that ends up being what gets built as as like a framework, a model. And that ends up even becoming this kind of body memory, a cellular memory, a muscle memory within us of that's what you do when you you need to get something you want. So there's the sensory motor, motor component, like the motor movement is really, really important. There's a sensation that's happening. We don't consciously realize it, but those sensations are telling us that we've repeated that movement or not. And then the feedback part. So that's part of the, the learning process. In there, there is not so much of someone telling you how to do it. There's not so much this verbal, explicit explanation of how to do it. You were getting modeled by other people. You then experimented on your own, and you got the feedback back. So we can learn by getting content. That gives us kind of plants some seeds for us. But that generally is also something that happens later in life, too, as we build up more networks and circuits that allow us to understand that certain words represent things, this creates stronger abilities to associate different words with different, you know, other meanings and symbols and all that stuff, which can help us absorb verbal information from someone. So I'm using a podcast right now, I'm using words with you, and most likely you are someone that understands words fairly well, which is why you've chosen to listen to a podcast. If you weren't that verbal of a person, if you didn't understand verbal explanations all that well, you probably wouldn't be listening to a podcast. You would be turning to YouTube or something else. So the fact that you're listening to this means that you have a decent amount of this verbal ability, which means that you have enough circuitry in your brain that creates a sense of meaning as you hear words, which means your brain has created enough associations, you've had enough of the symbols and codes and sophisticated grunting throughout your life that there's enough of these circuits that will 
activate and help you to create meaning in multiple kind of circuits in your brain. But you can't necessarily guarantee that anyone you're talking to is going to have that kind of verbal ability, first of all. So definitely, if you're working with younger people, that there just isn't as much exposure to that kind of data. So those circuits aren't going to be, will not have been activated as many times, which means it's going to be harder. The younger the person you're talking to, the less effective it will be for you to use words and explanations to help them understand something. Even with older adults, there still can be issues with you trying to use really explicit verbal explanations of things because everyone is going to have different exposure to different verbal you know, data and different contexts and things like that. So generally speaking, what's just way more powerful for pretty much any population you can think of is modeling. And what do we model? We're going to be modeling microscopic biological movements in what we do. And that is going to be what they notice and perceive because we are designed that way. We're designed to detect and project biological movements in each other. And so they are going to sense how you feel about failure based on the biofeedback that's going through your body and those and the signals that are going to be sent from all of the little movements that you create for example, in response to failure, your own failure and other people's failure. So what I found, I have found is that most of this growth mindset kind of talk is, first of all, too much about catchphrases, explanations, and being very explicit already so that we're already putting out posters and we're talking about it, but not so much focus on how is this even being modeled. And then on a deeper level, what do we mean by modeling? And one thing I notice is that not a lot of people talk about movement and micro-movement. They talk about word, you know, they talk about words and they're talking about explanations and all that stuff, but it's the actual tiny microscopic movements that are happening moment by moment and the consistency of that there needs to be like a consistent type of movement that's happening over and over again for example in response to failure for someone to be able to model it you can't just have one moment where they get modeled that and then for that to stick they need to be modeled over and over over again just think of how you learned those sound M for mama, right? It couldn't have happened once. You needed to have consistency and the sound needed, the movement and the sound needed to be fairly consistent across different models. It couldn't have just been one person doing something with their mouth and vocal folds to make that sound and then a person using a totally different way to do it. There had to be some consistency with that. So there's that aspect. And then the other one is that I find that a lot of growth mindset training and videos and talk or whatever is very focused on other people. So it's less about the person who's trying to teach it. How do they internalize it first? It's about immediately about how do you, you know, how do you change the other person's attitude? How does a teacher change the student's attitude about learning? But I think this is a huge mistake. I think it has to be about the person who's teaching and leading and trying to create change and trying to create the optimal learning environment. They need to be modeling. It has to be very deeply internalized within them to be able to actually, you know, model this idea of growth mindset. And I'll just give you a quick anecdote about how much we can read authenticity. So I used to work for the Department of Defense and we had to do go through def- lie detectors every once in a while. And so part of a, a lie detector test is you get hooked up to different electrodes, there's eye gaze tracking, metal sheets to detect the, the muscle movements in your body, blood pressure, electric activity of your skin, also whether your pores dilate 
uh, dilate or not, things like that. So all of this is happening in our body and we can measure this. And so in this example, they need to give a, create a baseline of whether you are telling the truth or not. So they'll give different tests. You know, sometimes it's like, what's your name and all that. And they'll measure to see what, if you're telling the truth, another one can be something like they give you a deck of cards and you have to pick some cards out. And then they will ask you, you know, you will have the cards in your hand. So they'll ask you if it's this card and then some, you'll tell the truth, but then they will ask you to purposely lie. Even though you have the card, you'll say no, for example. So in one case for me, when I had to do that test, I remember that as I did it, I, I wasn't very aware of anything that I was feeling. You know, I just answered the questions and I think I was pretty nervous and I was in my, my head a lot. So I, you know, I answered no, I lied. And I didn't really think there was all, all that much of a difference between my answers. Like I, I didn't notice a huge amount of change in myself. So I actually th thought I did really well, that I had lied really well, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> for certain jobs. But in any case, when I was shown the, the biofeedback screen, at the end, when I had lied, when I had said, no, I don't have that card, every single measure of my biofeedback was literally off the chart, literally off the chart. It was so spiked that it went off the screen. It had stressed my body out so much to lie. And that was a huge aha for me because I realized I didn't even have awareness of how much my body was changing. And that actually started part of my journey of being much more mindful. And this idea of, from a previous episode, I believe it's episode five on self-regulation of becoming much more interoceptive, of being way more aware of the sensations that were happening in my body. And so I, I made that somewhat of my mission to, to be much more aware of that. And so, you know, whether we realize it or not, these signals are being sent out. They, they also have something called equine therapy that I've done with, with a few students where we take students who have high anxiety levels and we bring them to be with horses and horses have really good detection systems of people's blood pressure and heart rate. They can detect heart rate. They know when someone is really stressed out or not. And if a person is stressed out, and really anxious around a horse, the horse actually gives all these physical indicators. Their nostrils start flaring, their ears go down a little bit, they start kind of stomping with their feet. And as a, when a person's very calm, a horse will relax. Their nostrils stop flaring, their ears kind of come back up, and they, they will do more approach behaviors. And so we would actually do that with students, and I did it with myself, of when I felt nervous, I would see the reaction of the horse when I calmed down. So all of this is being projected. We are projecting these bio signals at all times. And people can tell, you know, just for example, with that lie detector, when I was lying, my body got stressed out and those signals were emitted. And we are able to detect these signals. There are such things as human lie detectors. In fact, all of us are, um, are detectors of all this. We just aren't really, we haven't been trained a lot and we have been more reliant on our kind of verbal and rational thinking parts of our brains because that's how we get trained in school to rely less on these different feelings and sensations that we have. We start to think think more and try to be more logical and use verbs and these explanations, uh, you know, kind of 
as our way of trying to explain and be human behavior. That's one aspect of this, is that as you are talking about growth mindset, if you don't live it, and if you aren't really even convinced of it, or you it isn't even really a part of your own life, people will be able to tell, and they will shut off if you are not authentic. So I have seen it firsthand, and I think part of why people enjoy my talks is that I live this. I have spent many, many, many years trying to purposely change my own belief systems and rewire my brain and activate new neural circuitry. And I experiment and I fail and I get rejected and I feel the rejection and I feel the self-consciousness and I notice how I respond to that. And I've survived it over and over and over again to the point where I know that I can survive it because I have. So when I talk about surviving failure, when I talk about putting in consistent effort, when I talk about how to, you know, pivot after making a mistake and putting yourself out there and feeling vulnerable, I live it. I do it. So my biofeedback is sending out that signal. And it's sending out the signal that I'm not afraid of that. So that needs to be in place. And that's the part that I think is missing from a lot of this growth mindset teaching is people are not focusing on what they're modeling in their you know, biological micro movements on a moment to moment basis. So the question is, can you learn to be authentic? Yes. Yes, you can. How? You need to experiment. You need to, if you are planning to teach growth mindset, if you're trying to explain to people that they should believe in themselves and that they should, you know, try new things and make mistakes and learn from their challenges, if you're going to do that, you need to experiment doing this yourself. You need to actually physically go through the process of being a beginner again, of being awkward being self-conscious, trying something, it fails miserably, you figure out how to refine it, you need to go through that process. And there's two key words in this sentence. You need to move in a new way. It is not just about your thoughts. You can't just think about how to do something new. You can't just, you know, diagram it out in your head. You need to actually create a physical movement in your body that is new, that you have not tried before. And it's not just obvious physical movements. It can be an obvious movement, like learning how to dance or rollerblade or ride a bike. Those are more obvious gross motor movements. But it can be tiny little movements, like do you use your vocal folds in a new way to, let's say, express yourself with a different tone of voice? Do you use a movement like taking a long exhalation before you answer somebody? Do you create a new movement by not grabbing your phone immediately and taking a breath and having some pause and some impulse control? Do you push the send button on a computer after you write something that you were you know, afraid to publish something and this time you, you click the send. These are all movements. It requires a physical movement that gets expressed. And the second piece is that it needs to be received by somebody else. So the first phase can be just creating movements on our own. And then eventually, in order to truly experiment, just like I was talking about in the beginning, when we learned to say the letter M and learned how to make a word like mama, we had to experiment. We had to put that out there and see how it got received back. So as you're teaching and learning about you know, growth mindset, you need to 
learn about something new. It could be related to growth mindset. It could be like the neuroscience stuff or something totally unrelated, but you learn something new. You create a new physical movement from it. And then you become more aware of what it feels like to be self-conscious and awkward, what you do in response to that. And then that way, as you are talking about it with other people, they can feel the authenticity of it. So if you're not doing that, what's going to happen is you are going to have to rely on other people's words, other people's catchphrases. You're going to have to rely on the posters and the slogans because you won't be able to come up with your own words. You won't have your own anecdotes to tell and you won't have that dynamic, fluid way to talk about things because it won't really be true. Like they say that when someone is telling a lie and they have to keep up with their story, they basically repeat it word for word because it's not true, it's not real, and so they have to almost memorize it. So they have to just repeat those words. You can tell when someone's really telling the truth because that the essence of the story stays the same, but they can use lots of different ways to describe it. It becomes really kind of fluid and dynamic in how they're describing it. So it's the same thing with this. If you can't find other ways to talk about growth mindset and you have to keep relying on the stuff you download and the stuff you're hearing other people say, it means that you probably haven't really internalized it. And the way to get around this is you have to learn something new and actually experiment with it and become vulnerable by being self-conscious about it and showing it to others or expressing it to others, seeing what it's like to be that self-conscious and awkward. Because that's what whoever you are teaching, whether you're in a business or a school, whoever you are trying to get to do something new because you're trying to create change, they have to do it in front of other people. You're not asking them to do something private and never perform this thing, never show it or express it, there's going to be that element of self-consciousness at some point. And that really is the, that's the essence of learning though. There has to be that moment where it gets expressed and we see the feedback that comes back to us. That's how we know we exist and that's how we know that we're, we're learning. One other aspect of that is that if we're not actively surviving the discomfort of being rejected, the anxiety of like putting something out there and not getting very many likes or getting people to get have mean comments back. I get plenty of this in my life. I put stuff out there and I get horrible comments back sometimes and then I get beautiful comments about the same thing. I will, you know, have something called the Brene Brown calls this the vulnerability hangover where you put yourself out there and then you have no idea how people are reacting. So it just is this process that you need to go through so you can feel what that feels like and then survive it and then actually become stronger because now you have more stuff to say in kind of as a what do you call it, as a reply or response to some of the criticism you're getting, it expands your mind about, oh, there is another way to think about this, or, oh, that was not a great way to explain it. You have to survive all of that very uncomfortable stuff and the rejection, the anxiety, all of that stuff. You need to survive it because if you don't, you you will project fear of it. So the reason why I feel comfortable saying you will survive it is because I do. I survive it. I'm very aware of the fact that I I get over it and I get stronger because of it. And I'm doing it on such a consistent basis that it's it's just really a part of my my new mental model. So that needs to be, you know, just another thing to think about is that if you're not actively surviving some kind of discomfort and rejection, But having a a bit of awareness of the fact that you're surviving it, so not just getting swallowed up by it and then hiding in your room and never doing anything again, you need to actually get out of that dip and keep going and figure out how to learn from it. 
when you can authentically talk about it like that, then people will feel that they will sense the, the biofeedback of that and you will stop projecting so much fear because you're going to project fear about two things. If you, if you are never trying anything new, you're not learning anything new, you're doing your same old habits over and over and over again, never trying a new approach to like teach or lead or do whatever it is you're doing, you're going to have two main fears because you're not surviving that kind of discomfort. You're going to be afraid when other people make a mistake because you're thinking, oh my gosh, like how are they going to handle that? And you're going to have fear of your own mistakes. So when you do kind of slip up or you do see something wrong, there's going to be such a level of fear behind it that people will, will detect both of those you know, levels of biofeedback from you. So those are some things to really think about when it comes to teaching growth mindset, just mindset in general, behavior change in general, from a really authentic level. And I think that is really missing from a lot of stuff that I hear, a lot of complaints that I hear from people from other things that they've heard about growth mindset, is it's just, it's simply not authentic. And they can't put their finger on exactly what it is. But I think part of it is just this, it's literally this biofeedback of authenticity that they're picking up on, or lack of authenticity. So one acronym, I love acronyms, (laughs) one acronym to think about as we try to create more authenticity and more of this real internalized piece is ideas. So I stands for ingest. So we need to, we do need to learn something new, but here's two key things about this. We need to learn from something outside of our usual circles. If you're an educator and you're only reading education blogs, you need to read something else, anything. It can be about astrophysics. It can be about business and marketing. That would be a really good one. I would recommend Seth Godin. If you haven't heard of him, that he has a podcast called Akimbo, A-K-I-M-B-O, any of his books. They are amazing for the classroom, for educators. We need more people to kind of go into that creativity or uh, design thinking, any of that stuff. So really go out of your comfort zones when you are ingesting information and learning. And what I mean by that is learning. Also, the second aspect. So anti-disciplinary, that's from episode two, all many different sources that are outside of your familiar zones, but also Read the criticisms, read the skeptics. Don't be afraid of that. Read what they're saying. You will gain so much important, valuable information from the people that don't believe it, that can't stand it, that hate growth mindset. Read all of that stuff. It will prepare you for being ready for the criticisms that you're going to get and the resistance that you're going to get prepares your mind mentally to come up with ways around that or to actually reflect on, oh, that might actually be true. So I for ingest. D for digest. (laughs) And what I mean by that is take in some information, but then sit with it yourself. Don't share it yet. Don't teach it. As you're reading, don't be automatically thinking about, oh, I'm going to explain this to that person that really needs to know this. Think about how does it apply to you? Are you repeating something? Are you kind of, you know, and it could be in a relationship. It might not be something so obvious as academics and, you know, results and job performance that many people are using growth mindset for. It can also be applied to how do you deal with your relationships or how do you deal with rejection and failure, et cetera. So digest, let it sit inside you, feel the feelings you get as you are kind of learning something new and, and, and doing these things and, you know, experimenting a little bit. Another piece with the digest. So let it sit, don't share it yet. Keep it for yourself. Think about you and 
as deep as you can, even the most self-conscious kind of embarrassing things that you can think about where this might apply to you, do that. Nobody else is there yet, you know, to evaluate this. So do that. But also think about, you know, in this digestion mode, so it stays for yourself. But I also think it can be very helpful to then diagram or draw or take some notes down, not getting too verbal just yet, but there is one kind of more verbal thing that it could be a drawing or verbal that does really increase comprehension, and that is metaphor. So anything you can think of where someone uses an explanation, let's say, you know, the myelination, the the neurons find firing together, wiring together, thinking about how could you draw that in a really simplistic way, or what would be a metaphor, like a bridge, you know, being built, things like that what they find is that metaphor can increase comprehension ridiculous amounts, like up to 3,000, 4,000%. That's how powerful metaphors are. Really, it activates so many different circuits in our brain that are interconnected. So when when you're digesting for yourself, think about how it relates to a totally unrelated area and what that could look like, a drawing or, you know, just some sort of metaphor. E is for express. So once you have learned a little bit about you know, these other sources of how to, you know, how they're implementing growth mindset, um, the skeptics and the critics, and then you've digested a little bit for yourself and you've done some diagrams and some thinking about metaphors, then you can express it. And this is the vulnerable part. This is the part where you actually try to explain things to somebody else. And it might be just explaining your own anecdote, or it might be experiment, just experimenting with a new way to explain something. And this is the part where you then actually move to the letter A, which is you attune and you start to notice how it gets received. So you're going to express, you're going to try to actually share it with somebody. So that has to be received by somebody else. After you've digested, you're trying to express. So you're going to write a post and publish it, or you're going to create a presentation and share it, or write an email and share it. But it has to be, there has to be a, a movement, an actual physical movement that creates this so that it gets received by somebody else. Clicking on the submit button, speaking the words, whatever that is. So express. And then attune. So you're going to notice for just how people receive it, but also really, really importantly, attune to how it feels for you. After you send it, notice that you feel like, ah, how is this getting received? Notice that you feel that. Um, Notice what it feels like when someone, you know, gives a harsh criticism back. And then notice, you know, let that sit for a minute and then notice how you respond to that. That just, to me, just the noticing piece usually pulls me a little bit away from being totally swallowed up by it. I just notice the sensations in my body, especially. That's a really big one. And I've talked about that, especially in episode five. The more we get in tune with the sensations of our body, of what it feels like to be that vulnerable, we it gives us a new way to talk about it. We can actually explain those physical sensations to the people we're talking about, and it will really help make it more tangible for them that oh when you when you express and you do something new sometimes the self-consciousness actually makes you feel like there's prickly feeling in your fingertips or your throat starts to get really clenched or dry or you get really tight in your um, stomach things like that so or your cheeks blush and they feel really hot so the more you talk about this the more you make it tangible for other people they actually can picture what it's like to feel vulnerable and they believe you because you are explaining it you wouldn't be able to explain those sensations if you weren't living it so that really helps with that you know the biofeedback of authenticity and then lastly 
show and share. So continuously show how you are living this. So as you are attuning, so the A was for attune, which is you really noticing all that. And sorry, I skipped kind of to the share part. The A is for attune. So notice what these feel like and then share that. Share the process. Share that you feel really awkward and you want to hide after you submit something. I remember, you know, Brene Brown again, I'll mention, is that she talked about after her first TEDx talk went viral that it was horrible for her. She had never been that exposed and she made the mistake of looking at the comments and people can be so mean and nasty, especially when it's anonymous and especially on like YouTube and stuff where they feel like they can just say whatever they want and there's no person receiving it. And it was so helpful when I heard her say that because I've gone through that dip and I felt that vulnerable. And something that I loved that she said and that kind of mimics or reflects what I'm talking about in this authenticity episode is that she basically made the promise to herself that, or the, you know, the response to other people is that if you are not in the arena, if you are not getting your hands dirty, if you're not getting kind of spit on and criticized because you're not doing anything new, if you don't have any dirt on your face because you're not in the arena, then your comment is not valuable to me. I will only listen to the people who are actually in the arena. So that is that authenticity piece. If someone is going to critique you, and they're not living it, and they're not putting themselves out there, and they're not feeling vulnerable, you can actually feel that their their critiques are not even coming from that really authentic place, a place where they're really trying to learn and, and help other people kind of be more constructive about it. So ideas ingest from multiple sources outside your comfort zone and from all these skeptics and critics. And what I mean by that, sorry, just to kind of nuance this last thing I just said, when I'm talking about learning and listening to the critics. I don't mean when you put stuff out there, you don't need to listen to all the critics that are, you know, any kind of criticism or rejection that comes up from your, for example, YouTube, Facebook feed. If someone you respect and admire is giving you very, um, sophisticated and constructive kind of ideas, which always has a solution to it, They don't just knock you down. They basically don't even, they kind of leave that part out a little bit and they give you what, you know, what you can improve on, what you could change. That part you can listen to, but that's in that later phase. When I'm talking about ingesting and learning from the critics, that's when you can go and look at, you know, all of the different comments that you're seeing. And if someone gets one star rating on something, look at why they got, like on a book, look at why they got one star. You can look at the five stars, but look at why they're getting one or three. And I would even say in terms of that, the three star ratings are often more sophisticated than one star. One star is usually people that just kind of complain anyway, or they complain about ridiculous, unrelated things. You can tell they're just having a bad day, or they had one thing that happened, you know, the, the wrapping on the thing was broken, and so now they hate the entire book. So you can look a little bit with a grain of salt at the one and two star ratings, but even the three star ratings, for example, can be, there's some helpful information there. So ingesting, multiple sources, different different perspectives. Digesting, just learning and diagramming and reflecting for yourself, not sharing with anyone. Figure out how this works in your own life, what you are doing. Then express and experiment. Express like what you are learning, trying to do, give this new thing some words and some movement to it. Actually expressing it so someone else receives it. And remember, this doesn't isn't just verbal. This can be if you're learning something, you can express it by going, let's say you're learning how to ride a bike. Uh, you can express that physically 
in, in the world. And I would say to always add some level of having other people receive what you're doing. Um, and then attune, attune to the sensations that you feel as you go through this learning process. So that just go back to the bike example, which is very kind of a different type of example. But if you're on a bike, there's a sensation you get from when you get really good balance. And when you're in a good flow of movement, there's a sensation that you get. So attune to those sensations. Those are really important. And then attune to what happens when you fall off? What, how does that feel? How do you react to that? What, is, what are the feelings you get as you fail and you fall? And then share that. Share those vulnerable pieces with others. Don't just share the results and the success part. Share the vulnerable pieces. So that is a bit on if authenticity and how we can teach growth mindset from a more authentic place. So in this episode, we looked at how when we learn something, it's not usually in that very explicit way. It's more from seeing being modeled something than going through our own sensory motor feedback process where we're noticing the sensations and the movements in our body. And we're experimenting by putting it out there and seeing how things get received and then making adjustments. We see that much of this growth mindset work is way too other focused. It's focused on changing other people's attitudes rather than looking at how, how do we model it first and really internalize it and experiment with our own things so that we can be authentic as we talk about it. We also see that authenticity has uh, basically biofeedback to it when we're really talking about something that we really truly know and live, there's going to be a biofeedback that comes with that that's being projected and that people can detect. Um, And we can learn to be authentic. And the way we learn to be authentic, especially when it comes to something like teaching about growth mindset and celebrating failure and and learning, is we have to experiment and actually physically go through the process of what we're talking about. So if we're talking about making mistakes, we have to learn and physically go through a process of making mistakes so that we can be a beginner again and notice those sensations And then we have much more organic and authentic language to choose from as we talk about it to others. And lastly, we did the um, acronym. So ideas, ingest, multiple sources, digest, don't share it just yet. Think about it for yourself, reflect, express and experiment where you are, you know, trying to just try some new movements in a new way. You're moving your body in a new way. You're doing tiny little movements, sharing something, you know, posting and submitting or publishing something you've never shared before. And that's the truly vulnerable part. And then attune to those feelings of vulnerability and what it feels like to be rejected and self-conscious again, and then how you move through that. And then share and share those vulnerable pieces, the parts where you fall down and how uncomfortable that was. And the more you attune to the physiological sensations of those that discomfort the more authentic you'll be as you share it and that will really resonate with people because we're all going through that it's not just a success piece thanks so much for listening to that episode i hope that was helpful i say that i think every single episode (laughs) and if you uh want to learn a bit more i'm i'm actually creating i'm see i'm going to be experimenting um i'm actually going to be creating this kind of like a board game and I already have the playing cards and there's a map and it's about these phases of of mindset so that will be up 
in a while. I have a really big project going on right now with a group of people, so it's something I'll be doing over the summer. But um, definitely keep checking out my website, and uh, hopefully there'll be something on there that helps, including my growth mindset booklet. Email me if you have any questions at info at and thank you so much for listening. For free resources and materials, including the Growth Mindset Goal Setting Booklet, head to my website at stephaniefayfrank.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave a review. If you do, you'll be entered for a chance to win a scholarship to one of my training programs or online course. 